Yo, what's good, New York? It's the Harvester Colin Atrophy, a.k.a. Pepperoni Poppy, a.k.a. Mozzarella Mommy, a.k.a. Young Crust. Welcome to issue 7 of the Radio Harvester audio zine. This month's guest is Golnar Nikpour, and she has really good credentials for punk stuff, a.k.a. she was the coordinator of Maximum Rock and Roll, Arguably the most important, possibly the longest running, definitely one of my favorite punk zines in America. If you don't know what it is, pull out your smartphone, Google that. And what is Maximum Rock and Roll? Type that in to Wikipedia and then look it up. And then you're going to learn and read about it and now you're up to speed and I don't need to explain it to you. And if you do know what it is, don't pat yourself on the back, alright? A lot of people know what it is, alright? You're not special. Anyway, Golnar also plays drums in Sick NYHC outfit in school, whose EP Praxis of Hate is real good. NYHC like Born Against, by the way, not NYHC like Sick of It All. There's room for all of us under this umbrella. And finally, not finally like as a human, but finally for this intro, because I only got 15 seconds, Golnar is the editor of a magazine called Pitarov, which is about Iranian diasporic production. I know that sounds complicated, but actually it's pretty simple, and she explains what it means, but mostly it's about cool stuff Iranian people are doing all over the world. Check it out. We're going to do an interview any second now. I drank too much coffee. Ah! <laughs> in a like pretty 90s way through Nirvana like I liked Nirvana when I was like 11 or 12 you know and like just kind of like mainstream rock music of the time yeah and then so like somehow through that I started hearing the word punk like on MTV or something and then read um, when I was 12 or 11 I read that Older, 12 or 13 read that Michael Azarad book on Nirvana, the like come as you water story of Nirvana. Oh, and in that, anyway, they all talk about the bands they were into, like Dinosaur Jr. and Sonic Youth and Black Flag, the Velvet Underground and the Raincoats and stuff like that. And I made a list, but I didn't know any punks. I made a list. Right. I was like just starting out to be in high school, and I, I liked comic books and like other stupid like nerdy. Sh- but I was like a comics geek and like a, just a general weirdo before I was before I was like really into punk music. And then um, for my Carol was my twelfth or thirteenth birthday. I asked all of my like various family members for like a few CDs, and I got uh, Velvet Underground, Black Flag, Black Sabbath, and the Sex Pistols CDs, all from stuff that like members of Nirvana were into. That's and then I was a, like, I am a punk. That's such never. a good, like, all of the roots, kind of. <laughs> I know. You know what I mean? They're and, like, oh, wow. And then okay. because Pat Smear had been in the germs, I right. like, it took me a really long time to track down the germs discography. I had to, like, go to three different Tower Records or something, because you couldn't, like, mail order. It wasn't, like, I didn't really understand how to get this stuff, except yeah, for, yeah, like, yeah. like, the local CD warehouse or whatever. I didn't whatever. figure that out until I was, a, like, a little bit older. I mean, like, I spent all sorts of time trying to figure stuff out yeah. and, like, make connections. It's just that information wasn't that widely available. It just took available. a decade to figure it all out because yeah. we didn't have the internet. I, like, romanticize yeah. the, like, 
kind of effort that I had to put into getting into stuff in a way, but I, I think it's first like dangerous for me to like romanticize it to such an extent that like it dismisses the experience of kids today. Yeah, I think that right? there's to be like 100% honest, like obviously like there's something to the way that we did it, but then for me the big different the big thing that I I think is like cool is like I was really lucky in that the main people that I met when I first got into punk, maybe it's from where I grew up or maybe it's just luck, were, there was like a lot of cool punk, older punk girls that I met through this girl Gabby and also like just not like necessarily like random white boys, you know? Yeah. And the internet like cuts out the fact that for a lot of girls, especially the gatekeepers are older boys. Dudes, yeah. Um, and so like virtually everyone I know um, myself included have like either funny or gnarly or weird but like ultimately like stupid experiences of like hooking up with older boys for like coolness or gatekeeper reasons and like right. if the internet makes that happen less that would be awesome like my parents, my grandparents, and like my, my dad particularly, my grandfather and my great-grandfather are three generations, so that would make me the fourth of like serious, committed, like revolutionary Marxists in the Iranian tradition. I my great-grandfather it. fought in the Constitutional Revolution of 1906 okay. in, a, one of the, like, in one of the like kind of more radical like um, militias, I guess. Sure. My grandfather was a like member of the Marxist Tudeh party in Iran, which was the big kind of communist party of the 1950s. My dad was had like a relationship with a major um, like Marxist guerrilla group in Iran in the 1970s. And so for and my mom, although not like a sort of card carrying uh, like radical, still like they met through like their like political circles and like, right. intellectual circles or whatever so they share worldview. So for like the kid of um, Marxist, right? Like how do you, you gotta rebel? do something? Yeah, you gotta do something. <laughs> um, and and it was actually like like a lot of the stuff I liked. My parents would be like, oh, that's fine, whatever, that's right. cool, that's interesting. Oh, you're getting into this or that, that's cool. But then with Bikini Kill, I remember that it was just like hated it they like and my dad to this day talks about sweeter kinney as like his least favorite thing like the thing that corrupted me and like he's like that band that band of like shrieking women just what the the first time i read about mrr was in an, like an interview with dave Grohl. okay and I just figured, and then I found out about it, and then I, I read about it in some other thing, or talked about it with my friend, and I was like, Maximum Rock and Roll, that used to be the most important fanzine, but I didn't think, I didn't know it still existed. Right. And even it had, like, lasted into the 90s, but, like, somehow I just couldn't, like, conceive that it still existed. Because how could it still exist? Exactly. Um, and this would have been in, like, 95-ish. What? Um, when I was, like, 13. I, I was born in 1982, so we're about the same. Yeah. Um, like a year or two behind you. Yeah. And uh, in one of the times I had like convinced my mom to take me to the Tower Records on Long Island, and there was like a section for scenes at Tower, and I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. And then like behind a bunch of things, I saw 
an issue of MRR picking out, and I was like, oh my god, this still exists. Yeah. I was so excited. It was like the most incredible discovery. And I bought that issue, and I read it from cover to cover, and I didn't know anything. You know, like, there was like controversy about Larry Livermore and Lookout Records, but I didn't know what that was. And it right. was like Tim, there was letters and Tim Yo like railing again. I like understood the gist of it was like anti-corporate or anti-sellout. And I was like, yeah, I hate sellouts yeah, and corporate that. stuff. But I like integrity. Yeah, I just didn't know what any of it was, but I read it so diligently like six different times. And it was the only issue the Mac, like, the scene that I found for a while. And I was like, this is it. But then I started reading it again, or like kind of reading it in earnest, um, like around 2001-ish. So it would have been when Arwen and Mike were the coordinators, and I became, I was really into Arwen. Yeah, writing. Arwen's really cool. Just a great writer, a cool, like so I was really fixated on her writing, but also the magazine started covering bands I liked more. Right. And they did um, their, like what was their second queer issue in like two, early 2002. Okay. So I would have been like 20, 20 years old. And that was when I was like really back on board. They did a queer issue with writers that I really cared about. They were like covering more music that I liked. And it was distinctly had like, there was like queer and feminist writers and like right. different kinds of actively. Bands. Yeah, actively. And in a way that wasn't like, at least to me, it didn't feel like tokenizing. Right. Um, like I remember, like a really like important thing was like this takedown. These takedown letters Arwen had of um, Razor Cake for publishing Rich Mackin. Rich Mackin. And that was like a really like when I think about like pieces of writing that were extremely like punk pieces of writing that were extremely formative for me. Yeah. Like that was great writing at the same time that it was like a takedown. Like, it was a letter back to a letter. But like Arwen's column, she wrote like two or three columns and two or three letters back and forth to people and like. I read them like 20 times. Yeah, I remember uh, when that was happening. <laughs> and, uh, and not even as, like for me it wasn't even dr like as drama because I didn't know who Rich Mackin was at the time and like didn't care really. I mean, right. I like believed Darwin and that was enough for me. Yeah, totally. Um, but it wasn't a live drama in the sense that it was someone in my senior community. Like some people I knew knew who he was and like it was a, it was punk drama. But yeah. for me I was just like, this magazine's amazing. This woman has the power to like completely change people's minds about like and the way that she wrote it was so it was both incredibly firm and like like take no bullshit but at the same time it spelled out like what it meant to be yeah like to have solidarity with a, like a survivor in a way that was like it has like since informed how i like think about talking about or reading about or writing about those things for me mrr became relevant again once you became the Coordinator. There was a serious shift where it went from this kind of stodgy old dudes thing that had no resonance in my life and no relevance to me to like, uh, like an actively relevant publication that was uh, like interacting deliberately with worldwide punk, being deliberately queer, deliberately brown, deliberately like yeah. kind of just covering things that felt more within the wheelhouse of like what my life actually looks like rather than yeah totally you know and it just felt it felt like a, an important thing again even still when people are like you know don't really know or get like why I did MRR 
I went there not really fully knowing what to expect. There was certainly a thing where I was like, I'm going to run this cool, famous thing. Sure. And in the first week I was there, like I said, I met Mimi. And then like a couple days later, Jake Filth wanted to go see Rock and Roll High School at the... <laughs> At this like old beatdown movie theater. Yeah, yeah, uh, Pump Dreams. I, yeah, so yeah. I was like, my life is complete. My friends include Mimi Nguyen and Jake Filth. Everything's awesome. Actually, what made me stick around and work as hard as I did was like just having this thing like entrusted to me that so many people clearly cared about. But the people immediately, yeah. not necessarily the readers, even it was like the people who were there, who just were. Like- yeah, day to day, and who were just like hilarious and fun and cool and just like the best people I had ever met, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, that's amazing. And I didn't want to let them down. At first, I didn't think I like really, I was like, this is way too big of a thing for me to handle. I'm like a kid. They want me to like run this. It's a business. How it's old a, were you again? I was 22. Oh, Jesus. And I had like, I got the job over a couple of other people who I like, knew, like liked and respected. Like other people who were in the running who had done scenes that I liked or who were cool. But I was like, man, I can't believe they gave a gig to me. And I think in part it was like they were excited about Jane Doe and the fact that I had like ever handled like something that had money coming in and out and did so without like falling apart, stealing it or falling apart or whatever. Um, And you know, like I I guess like there was like who knows? I went through a bunch of interviews. But I was like, they made the wrong. At first, I was like, they clearly made this is like decision. this is all wrong. Yeah. Like I, I don't really deserve to be here or belong here, right. especially because we had to fire um, Mike Thorne like within a few months of my getting there, and I had to run the magazine by myself more or less. I was like, oh my god. I, I hope they up. I'm not gonna do this. But then I was like, I have to get it right. At least I have to get it so that it doesn't like completely crumble around me and we're like, you know, go bankrupt or something because right. these like awesome people trust me. And that was this really incredible thing, and actually, like, one of the all-time punk lessons, which is, like, you know, like, most things in this world really don't want a kid in charge, you know, they don't, like, everyone there, there was people there who were, like, 40 or 50 who had been around, (laughs) who had been around forever, and they were waiting for me to, like... Or they were like, we, here are the keys, you know, we trust you, do it's it, like it's all yours. It's like one of those yours. movies where like, you're in a big suit all yeah. of a sudden, like, sitting in, and you're like the CEO. Yeah, 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 oh yeah exactly. Oh my god. So, and for them it was totally natural. Right. And it made total sense, and so it's like having other people be like, no, you're, you're an you actor, you got this, it's you totally got fine. This. Yeah. Tell us what you need us to do, we'll help you, but like, you got this. Oh yeah. my god, that's so beautiful. The kids are alright, the kids are alright. So let's segue into talking about the magazine that you do now. Uh, what's it called? It's called Bitarov. Bitarov. You can call it BT also. BT. Okay. <laughs> it's easier, faster. But it's a magazine started about the idea of it was started about two, three, I guess three years ago now, um, between a few friends of mine to do a magazine on a sort of Iranian kind of. I don't want to say subculture because it's not all subculture, but like arts, music, history, um, oral history, different kinds of stuff um, that would be kind of more off the beaten path. Part of my thinking about it was something that um, I heard Mimi say a long time ago about how we have to think about culture, especially those of us who often like uh, like brown or black folks often get pegged as having culture, like 
Instead, we have to think about culture as something we make. I mean, whoever we are. It's not something you have. It's something that you're like constantly making and remaking. That's really punk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's actually how like intellectual production or artistic production works. You don't right. like. You're not like just born with an essence of something. You're like you're making yourself. You're making the world around you all the time. Right. Um, and so that was kind of the idea behind BT. And ultimately, like some of the stuff that I do for BT is very similar to like it's it comes from a really similar place to how I thought about MRR like. I'm a nerd and an archivist, and I like old stuff, and I like finding old stuff, and right. I like looking through old stuff. Yeah. Um, so th that's a lot of what I do for uh, BeTotoff, and it's just been really like incredible meeting other people who are doing interesting kinds of work in the Iranian diaspora. Yeah. I mean, in a really broadly defined way, because I mean, again, and one of the one of the challenges for us is um, how do you do something that is like self-defined as being. Iranian diasporic, whatever, but at the same time, um, talk is like uh, s specifically put, put itself um, in opposition to the kind of conservative nationalist uh, worldview of so much of the kind of more vocal diaspora, Iranian diaspora. And the Iranian diaspora is very like right wing nationalist. Yeah, sure. Um, so, and a lot of that comes from being like, well, you know, that means defining. Having our definition definition of Iranian be really broad and trying to talk about how we can actually like be, be exploding some of the myths of um, this like pure culture or something. Um, but then it's also like about um, just doing stuff that we like. I mean, in the way that you would take a punk scene. Right. But I think that has been my like major contribution since I'm the only punk. I'm so filled up with hate, I just can't concentrate. Am I running out of time? I wanna be a punk, I wanna be a punk, I wanna be a punk, don't you? I wanna be a punk, I wanna be a punk, I wanna be a punk, don't you? Hey, so that was that. Thank you, thank you to Golnar. You can check out her various projects, such as the band In School at inschool.bandcamp.com, the magazine Bitarov at b-t-a-a-r-o-f.com, bitarov.com, and you can check out Maximum Rock and Roll in the Hudson News in Grand Central Station. Thank you also to DJ Bosch and WFMU for airing my thing. Thank you to R.D. Reed Dunley, my boy, my dude, my bro, my pal. My friend, uh, look for our memoir, My Boy, My Dude, My Bro, My Pal, My Friend, The Colin Atrophy, Hagendorf, and Reed Dunley Story, uh, coming soon on uh, Slyman and Schmutzter. Uh, also, thank you for the music. 
to lots of people, such as La Cara Occulta for the theme song, Pizzeria Fatale. Thank you to Huggy Bear, her jazz. Also, Sleater Kinney, I Want to Be Your Joey Ramone. Also, Kenny Loggins, This Is It. Also, The Who, Kids Are Alright. Also, Blank 77, I Want to Be a Punk. That's what we're listening to now. And check me out on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, at Slice Harvester, at Slice Harvester, at Slice Harvester, SoundCloud, Pod, Zone, Pcast, Dcast, Zcast. Check me out all over the internet stuff. And uh, peace be upon you. No cops, no creeps. Peace in the pizzeria. I'm out.